episode 130. Welcome to WFS, the Will Ford Show, episode 130. And the NBA playoffs kind of getting into full swing here. And a lot of stuff going on in the NFL too, um, with some notable names being thrown around as trade bait. So definitely want to dive into that here in this show. But I want to start with the NBA playoffs more specifically the play-in tournament that took place before the playoffs with the seeds 7 through 10 in both the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. I'm kind of late to the party on that. I wanted to talk about it a little bit earlier, but here are my thoughts really on the NBA play-in tournament and the teams that advanced Celtics and Wizards in the Eastern Conference. The Pacers and the Hornets fell out of it. And in the Western Conference, the Lakers and the Grizzlies moved ahead of the Golden State Warriors and the San Antonio Spurs. Now, I actually kind of like the play-in tournament. It's obviously different. It's an adjustment. And I I do think it it is slightly unfair to the 7 and 8 seeds who might be a few games ahead of seeds 9 and 10. Uh, You know, if you finish a regular season and you're, you know, three or four games up, on seeds 9 and 10, it might seem a little unfair because you earned that 7th seed and now you've got to try to defend it in a one-game scenario. It's not a series or anything, so it's kind of tough. But the thing I love about the NBA play-in tournament is that it incentivizes teams to play. So you're not going to see as much tanking. You know, if teams that are sitting at 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, last year might have thought they had no shot at making the playoffs. Well, now, with this play-in tournament, it doesn't really matter how many games back you are as long as you're in, really, with if you're within striking distance of the 10th seed or if you are sitting at 9 or 10, even if you're a couple games back, you can still make the playoffs and try to make some noise. So it's incentivizing teams to play. You're going to see less tanking. So teams at the end of the year, when they feel like they're out of it, They're really not, and they can get into the playoffs. So you're going to see the best players in the world play more consistently. Those teams that are sitting at seeds 7 through 12, the bottom three teams, more than likely just going to mail it in for the season, and that's fine. But I like it because it forces teams to play because they can actually have a legitimate shot of making the playoffs. Now with this year in particular, though, I kind of didn't like it because I felt like it removed one player from most valuable player consideration, and that's Steph Curry. Curry, I think, you know, has to be a top three candidate for MVP, but I think he's going to be removed from that conversation just because his team didn't make the playoffs. And if you look at the NBA Western Conference standings, the Warriors were the number eight seed, they would have made the playoffs if there was no play in tournament this year. And they lost to the Lakers in the first play in game. That was kind of a coin flip to me. That was a very close game and the Lakers started slow in that game. LeBron was clutched late though. And Curry played fantastic. It just wasn't enough. And then against the Grizzlies, I mean, Ja Morant is establishing him, himself as a superstar and Steph had another great game, but just everything around him is just not good enough right now. Obviously, you have no clay, and that's tough. 
and I know a big part of winning the most valuable player is that your team's got to win, but given how bad the team is around Steph Curry, I think it's an achievement in and of itself to even get his team to that point. I mean, Steph Curry was lights out, unbelievable this year. It seems like he's extending his prime a little bit. We, I, I kind of thought we had already seen the best of Steph Curry, and that was a couple years ago. But right now, he's playing his best basketball. I think, you know, right now might be the second best player in the world behind LeBron James. It's not Giannis. Giannis is not the second best player in the world. I think Steph should have been in that conversation. And now that his team didn't make the playoffs, and I know it's a regular season award, so I can't. I know you you can't really lump in playoff success or making the playoffs or anything, but a lot of times that happens. Steph Curry's not going to get consideration for the MVP this year, which I think is unfortunate, but I get it. Uh, That's the only thing I don't really like about it in this particular instance. It's just circumstantial. Um, But uh, I I still love the concept of the play-in tournament. I'm just disappointed in the fact that Steph Curry didn't make the playoffs and now he won't get the MVP. My other thought, though, on the NBA play-in tournament, LeBron James, you know, when he was coming back from his ankle injury, he verbalized that he hated the the idea of the play-in tournament and thought that whoever conceptualized it should be fired. And I, I have an issue with LeBron saying that because LeBron was coming back from injury. The Lakers were on a bit of a slide. They kept falling down the standings, falling down the standings, kept slipping. And then all of a sudden, the Lakers find themselves in that seven seed. And LeBron's just now getting back from injury. And you've got you know four or five games left to try and get yourself out of that seven seed. To me, LeBron was only saying he hated the play-in tournament because he knew he was going to be a part of it. That's the only reason why he hates it is because he knew he was going to be a part of the play-in tournament. Yes, they won. Yes, they got into the playoffs. Now they're tied 1-1 with the Phoenix Suns. In the first round of the playoffs, a series that they're favored in. But the only reason he hated, the only reason he hates the concept of the play-in tournament, or hated it, I guess, a couple weeks ago or a week ago, was the fact that he was going to be in it, and that being the seven seed wasn't enough to get into the playoffs. He had to again prove it in one game, and I take issue with that with LeBron James because. A, I don't think he really needed two months to come back from a high ankle sprain. Uh, you know, I, I get it. He's older and he's got a lot of mileage on those tires, but it's LeBron James. He is the Iron Man of the league, if we've ever seen one. And, I mean, you see NFL players in a sport that's much more physical. They get a high ankle sprain. They're out for maybe four or five weeks. Uh, you know, about a month. LeBron was out for two months and I, he had a walking boot on it. And I I just don't think that was really necessary. I think he played it up more than he needed to. And I, you know, I get the idea of like, Oh, well, I'll just sit. If we keep winning, I'll just keep sitting out until I, you know, I'm definitely 100% fully healthy. And I get that, but the Lakers kept losing and losing and losing. And then when it was close for him to coming back, Lakers won a few games. He's like, okay, I'll just push it back a game. I'll push it back a game. And I just I just didn't really like LeBron's approach or attitude towards his injury and then towards the play-in tournament because he only has himself to blame. 
Granted, Anthony Davis was out 30 games too with injury. But still, if LeBron would have just had a little bit of urgency, because even when he came back, he wasn't playing with a lot of urgency. I think he was fully healthy when he came back. I just think he was rusty and didn't want to admit that and just kept pushing it back. There's just I don't think LeBron had the switch turned on. Only reason he hates he hated the play-in tournament is because he knew he was going to be involved in it, and he knew that seven get it being the seven seed wasn't enough to get into the playoffs. He again had to prove himself, and I think he's tired of proving himself. And so he probably, I think LeBron feels like anything can be used as as an attack against his legacy and his career. And that's just simply not the case. If you take care of business when you come back and you maybe come back a little bit earlier and not take so much time just for an ankle sprain, you would have avoided the play-in tournament and then you wouldn't have any thoughts about it. LeBron would have nothing bad to say about it if he wasn't involved in it. That's just my two cents. But for me personally, I like it. It gives teams more opportunity to get into the playoffs and incentivizes them to play. You're going to see less tanking for better draft picks or a better chance at a better draft pick. I like it. Because we hate tanking. We don't like seeing it in the NFL. We don't like seeing it in the NBA. We don't like seeing it anywhere. So I kind of like this. It's very similar to like the wild card round of the NFL playoffs. And they just added a team to the playoffs last year in the NFL. You have seven teams instead of six. So it's it's kind of similar to that. I kind of like it. People only don't like it when their teams are involved in it. Their favorite teams or the teams they play for are involved in it. That's the only time they don't like it. If you don't like it, play better, win games, and make sure you're not a part of it. Because one game, that's tough. It's not a series. It's not like a best of three series. It's one game. You lose one game and you're out. And any NBA game can go any given direction. All it takes is for LeBron and Anthony Davis to be both off. Steph Curry to be lights out, which he was in the first half and LeBron and AD were kind of sluggish. Somehow the Lakers were able to pull out the win. Like, that's all it takes. It's for your best players to be to just not have it and Steph Curry to be playing out of his mind. That's my two cents on the NBA play-in tournament. Now, coming up tonight, we've got some some playoff games. Game three between the Lakers and Suns. I, that's a series the Lakers are favored in. Obviously, I'm biased. I'm a Lakers fan. I'm not going to predict a game for them. But we also have the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. Miami is down 0-2. Milwaukee is just much better than they were last year with Drew Holiday. And Middleton is not being asked to do too much. Holiday can help close games. Uh, You also have the Denver Nuggets and the Portland Trailblazers. That feels like a seven-game series to me. I would probably give the edge to Portland, though, just because Denver doesn't have Jamal Murray. They haven't had him for a while, but that could probably be the difference in this one. And another thing with Miami, too, Tyler Hero is playing absolute garbage, and he was great in the playoffs last year. Jimmy Butler really needs to be on for Miami to win. So I like Milwaukee in that series, but yeah. I want to move over now to the NFL, though, because there's a lot of players on the block, potentially, for trade. So I'm going to 
go through six players here, and then I want to talk about one specific player a little bit more in depth. And I'll save that player for last, but let's kind of play a game of, I guess you could say deal or no deal, trade or not to be traded, whatever you want to call this game, I don't know. But basically with these six players, I'm going to tell you whether or not I think these players are going to get traded. Uh, there's a June 1st deadline that if teams wait to trade players until after June 1st, they can save a ton of money against the cap. And so that's the case with a lot of these players. Um, it, that's why it would make sense for some of these players to get moved off of. Uh, we'll start off with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's been the guy, you know, the topic of conversation around the league for, you know, a month now since the NFL draft. Crazy to think we're almost one month post NFL draft. But Aaron Rodgers is not going to get traded. I mean, both teams are not backing down from their stances right now. Aaron Rodgers isn't showing up to OTAs. The Packers' top five receivers, including Devontae Adams, are not showing up to OTAs right now. But again, this doesn't really mean anything to me, at least. Aaron Rodgers hates to be hated. And I know the fans are going to be up in arms if he continues to hold out like this. The organization has already said they're not firing Gutenkust or whatever his name is, their general manager, Gutenkust or something. I don't know how you pronounce his name, whatever. They're not getting rid of him, even though he should be gotten rid of. Rodgers isn't getting traded. But with the Packers not backing down to Aaron Rodgers, it's allowing teams that like teams should feel free to give the Packers a call. I, I still think the Packers would listen to calls. They may not entertain any trades, and I don't think they should. But I think it's an open invitation for teams to call. My thing is, though, is that the Packers are not going to get as good of an offer as they could have accepted before the NFL draft a month ago from the San Francisco 49ers. They could have gotten Jimmy Garoppolo, the number three pick, and a bunch of other picks. You get a quarterback to replace Rodgers. You have the number three pick. You could draft Kyle Pitts or whoever. You get a bunch more picks. That, to me, is the best offer you can get is a quarterback that wins a lot of games when he when he's healthy. That's the big if, though. You get a legitimate starting quality player on offense at number three, and then you get a ton of other picks for the future. To me, that's the best offer you can get. I don't know what other teams can really offer now. So my thoughts are Aaron Rodgers does not get traded by the Green Bay Packers. Zach Ertz, the tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles, I feel like he will get traded. It's been talked about for a long time. He's in his last year of his contract. He's making about $8 million. The Eagles have Dallas Goddard, and they have much greater needs on offense at wide receiver. So I think you can move off of Ertz. You can probably get a mid to late round pick, or maybe a couple of them, and Ertz Needs to get healthy, number one, because he hasn't been healthy in the last couple years. But if he's healthy, a team could get a really, really nice quality tight end. What would, what team would be willing to give up a couple mid or late round picks for him? I don't know. But I do feel like Philly trades him. Philly's kind of rebuilding right now. They have greater needs at wide receiver. They have Dallas Goddard at tight end. You don't need Zach Ertz. And if you do decide to keep him, you're going to have to pay him 
a little bit more than $8 million, I, I uh, hypothesize. Jimmy Garoppolo, now getting to him, I don't think the 49ers are going to trade him. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to start this season for the Niners as long as his body holds up or as long as his play is at an elevated level. Trey Lance is a developmental quarterback. He's not better than Justin Fields. Justin Fields, I believe, is ready to play right away. Uh, And Trey Lance, I think, is a guy that is going to have to sit for at least a season. So Jimmy Garoppolo, it's really on him to stay healthy, number one. If he stays healthy, I think he's going to play out of his mind because he knows his days are numbered in San Francisco, whether he plays this full season or not with them. And he's basically auditioning for the rest of the league that needs a quarterback. So, and the thing is too, the 49ers, they're going to get everybody back on defense. Everybody's going to be healthy. Offense is going to be healthy. Jimmy G's going to be healthy. If they start off the season 4-0, 4-1, 5-1, whatever, you're not going to bench Jimmy Garoppolo for Trey Lance. That just wouldn't make any sense. You don't want to rock the boat. A great example of this and I, I have good experience with this when Tony Romo was still playing for the Dallas Cowboys back in 2015-16, um, or it might have been 2016-17, whatever, but they drafted Dak Prescott in the fourth round, and the expectation was that Dak was just going to be the backup. It drafted him for depth. He was just going to sit behind Tony Romo. Tony Romo gets hurt in the preseason, breaks his back. Dak comes in, leads the Cowboys to... An 8-1 and one record midway through the year. They lost the first game of the year, then rallied off eight in a row. But there was always constant discussion about, should the Cowboys bring Tony Romo back into the fold? Should Romo start again? And, you know, as soon as the Cowboys lost one game, it's like, oh, bring Romo back in. And I love Tony Romo. Romo is my favorite player of all time in NFL history. Underrated and I think unfairly maligned over the course of his career. Totally different discussion for another day. But you can't bring Tony Romo back in when you're sitting at 8-1, and 9-1. and one. You're having a great season. Cowboys went on to clinch the first seed in the NFC playoffs and get a first-round bye. You can't mess with that. So if the 49ers start off the year 5-1, and one, you're not going to be looking for Trey Lance to come off the bench. That would just be utter stupidity from Kyle Shanahan. You know, two-thirds of the time that Jimmy Garoppolo is on the field, they win games. So as long as Jimmy's healthy, this is a great team that's capable of going back to the Super Bowl. Trey Lance is there, though, in case Garoppolo gets hurt. My guess is is he probably will again. I mean, if he has any kind of semi-serious injury, he'll be done, and he might get traded before the deadline, or you know, the 49ers will just cut him after the season, and Lance will be the guy in San Fran. But... Right now, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to get traded going into the season. Another guy that I was kind of thinking about, Drew Locke for the Denver Broncos. You know, they brought in Teddy Bridgewater. They were talking about drafting a quarterback. Obviously, they didn't, but they brought in Teddy Bridgewater. They're not going to really trade Drew Locke. I don't think really any team is interested in him. He had the worst completion percentage among starting quarterbacks last year. Wildly inaccurate. You got a rocket arm. But he's not very mature, inaccurate. I don't really see any team willing to put picks on the block for him. 
I just don't think he's going to get traded. I think the Broncos feel like they have a a ready-to-win-now roster, and Teddy Bridgewater probably gives them the best chance to win games because he doesn't turn the ball over. So Drew Locke is just going to be a backup. He's got a strong arm. He's very flashy. He can win games if he's not turning the ball over, but I don't think any other team is going to be interested in that. Stephon Gilmore, another player, corner for the New England Patriots, widely regarded a couple years ago as the best corner in the league when he left Buffalo in the first year he was with New England. He's coming off of probably the worst season of his career. He was, I believe, ranked the 99th ranked corner in football. Not a good year, coming off of injury. And this is what New England does, right? You move off of players who are coming off of down years, wildly expensive. Gilmore is very expensive, past his prime maybe a little bit. But Gilmore is still a player that can help out a lot of teams who need a corner. I mean, every team could use a good corner. And Gilmore still got some juice in the tank, no doubt about that. But he's not the best corner in the league anymore. And I, I would argue he's not top five anymore. But would a team like Dallas, who needs some serious help in the secondary, trade for him? Perhaps. I don't think you need to give up much. The problem is, though, is the money. But I would say he's going to get traded. It's just exactly what New England does. They move off of players a year early. I think this is probably the perfect time to move off of him because you're going to save a ton of money. He's past his prime. Yes, he's coming back off of injury. He might be better this year than he was last year, but I think that makes it the perfect time to move off for New England. And the last player, and I'm going to be a little bit more in depth on this one, Julio Jones, superstar wideout from Atlanta, is going to get traded within the next week, post-June 1st, probably to the Tennessee Titans, maybe the New England Patriots. He's done in Atlanta. Atlanta is a rebuilding team. They just drafted Kyle Pitts. They've got some good young wideouts. Calvin Ridley is starting to become a star. He played really well when Julio didn't play last year. And so Julio just, I think, would fit better on a team that is more elite. A team that doesn't necessarily need him for 17 games. If Julio can play 11 or 12 games and be great in some of the big games, you know, division games or just big games late in the year as you approach the playoffs. That's perfect. That's all you really need him to do. Because Julio, he's 32 years old. His best days are behind him. He's still an athletic freak. But I don't think you can expect those 1,500-yard seasons with, you know, 15 touchdowns and him running over people. I don't think you can expect that from him anymore. He's just had too many injuries. He's had an injury-plagued season last year. I think the most you can expect of him is to play, you know, 11 or 12 games and be great in a handful of them to to help you win because he does have some playoff experience. He had a great Super Bowl against the Patriots, made a very clutch catch that, you know, should have sealed it for Atlanta, but Atlanta couldn't get out of their own way. Again, that's another discussion for another day. But Julio's going to get traded. He doesn't fit what Atlanta's trying to do right now. They're trying to rebuild and. He's just not on the field enough for him to really contribute to that rebuild and help them win some games. But he can help a team that doesn't necessarily need him become better and you know give a veteran quarterback another option late in the season when you're trying to make a push for the playoffs. 
But the thing I really wanted to talk about with this Julio Jones situation is that he got completely sandbagged and just thrown under the bus by Shannon Sharp on Undisputed. Undisputed on Fox Sports FS1 with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. Shannon Sharp called him on the air, didn't tell him that he was on the air until the call was basically over, and was getting him to spill the beans on, you know, are you staying in Atlanta, brother? What are you doing? He's like, nope, I'm out of there. Would you go to Dallas? He's like, no, I never thought about going to Dallas. I just want to go somewhere where I can win. Spilled all the tea on what he was thinking and what he wanted to do and didn't tell Julio that he was being listened to on national television. That's terrible journalism. Not even is that terrible journalism and and is that unethical, but that's serious legal trouble now for Shannon Sharp because California is a two-party consent state. And what that means is if you're on a phone call, both parties involved in the call have to know and acknowledge that the call is either being recorded or otherwise being, you know, live streamed, broadcast, something like, like they have to know that other people are listening in some way, shape or form, whether it's recorded or it's live over the airwaves. Shannon Sharp didn't, didn't tell him that. Now I haven't watched the actual segment. Um, I'm kind of scared to be honest to, to watch it because I feel like it's mega cringe. Maybe I'll make a reaction video to that and put it on YouTube or something because, oh my God, like that's just, that's such unethical journalism. That's why I don't think athletes, retired professional athletes should be able to get involved in journalism and media so easily. Like I'm going to school for media and I'm learning how to do all that stuff, do everything the right way, ethically and legally. Shannon Sharp didn't do any of that. He just walked into Fox Sports and they gave him a job because he's Shannon Sharp. I don't like Shannon Sharp as a TV personality anyways. I think he's just too much for me. Undisputed is just not my favorite show in the world. Both Skip and Shannon are too much for me to handle. Their takes make no sense a lot of the time. And I get that they're supposed to be outrageous for TV ratings, but like it's just not even watchable for me. That's just one man's opinion. I know my opinion, you know, the, the show's success and future doesn't hinge on my opinion of it at all. I'm not saying I have any sway or pull in that. Obviously, I'm a nobody, but Sharp could, I was reading some stuff on it. Shannon Sharp could face up to a year in jail. It's a misdemeanor charge of violating the two-party consent law and could also have a $2,000 fine. And that's an and or, so it could be just a $2,000 fine or one year jail time, or both. Is that going to happen? Probably not. I would kind of like to see it happen. But minimally, I want to see Shannon Sharp get fired by Undisputed, by Fox Sports, because I don't even know if the network knew he was going to do that. I think that was an impromptu, unplanned, I'm just going to call Julio Jones, let's get the tea, let's get, let's get some answers. I think he just did it on the spot. The network wasn't really ready for it. And when they realized he didn't let Julio know that, hey, this is on the air, they, I think they started crapping their pants a little bit because now they're in some hot water. Shannon Sharp's in some hot water. I wouldn't be surprised if Shannon Sharp lost his job with Undisputed. I mean, this is a hot mess for Fox Sports. And it's a hot mess for Shannon Sharp. 
And I don't like that, you know, Shannon Sharp thinks that just because he's Shannon Sharp, he can do whatever he wants. To me, that's irresponsible and honestly ridiculous. So that's a situation that I'm going to be monitoring and I'm going to be like, I literally look it up every couple hours throughout the day. I just type in Shannon Sharp and just see if there's any news on whether or not he's going to be in some serious trouble or not. Because obviously, you know, Atlanta or Julio, the team or Julio Jones are going to have to file a complaint for this to even really hold any water. Um, and I don't think anything like that has been filed yet. Obviously, I think I think the Atlanta Falcons have voiced an opinion on it and Julio was kind of mad about it, but an official complaint hasn't been filed. So we'll see. But my bottom line is, is I do think Julio gets traded. I mean, he said it on Undisputed that he's out of there. We'll see how it goes, but gosh, Shannon Sharp. Loose lips sink ships, and I think that ship in Los Angeles, undisputed, that that might be a sinking ship now. Yeah. But that's all for episode 130 of WFS The Will Ford Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at The Will Ford Show. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Like and comment on SoundCloud. You can also follow me on SoundCloud as well. And then also check me out on TikTok at The Will Ford Show. I've been doing a lot of challenges with you know, the NFL draft filter that you put on your head. Pick teams, pick players. Uh, super fun. So check out those videos on TikTok. But I'll see you in episode 131. This is WFS, The Will Ford Show.